Welcome to Connecting the Community podcast. I am your host, Marge Andre. I will be connecting you to people, organizations, and events that create community. I am creating this podcast in Richmond Hill, an eclectic and very culturally diverse community with lots of trees and streams and interesting people just up the hill from Toronto. On this podcast, I'm talking with Susan Dobson, Executive Director of the Craftsman Centre, an organization that offers peer support and resources for people with mental health, substance use, and housing challenges. One of its locations is in Richmond Hill. The Craftsman Centre also offers many online programs too. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for having me, Marge. Oh, I'm so glad that we found the time to to have this conversation. Can you just tell us a little about yourself and your involvement with the Craftsman Centre? Absolutely. Um, So I've been working with the Craftsman Centre since 2011. I worked in social services for quite some time, and I came across the Craftsman Centre when I was doing some outreach in the community. And I came by Craftsman, it was one of my stops, and I was immediately moved by the approach, uh, warm, welcoming community environment was really unlike anything I had come across. A storefront location, and I walked in, we had two cats in there at the time, and folks sitting around on couches and having coffee together and, you know, laughing and sharing food. Um, It was just so unique. Uh, There was, you know, no stigma or discrimination or fear of being labeled. Uh, It was just really refreshing. And so I came across that and it really stuck in my mind based on some of my previous experiences. And it was unlike anything I'd come across. So I continued on my way. And then two years later, I was looking for a change. uh, And I saw a posting for the family support program coordinator role. And I applied and, and I got that position. And on that note, I have uh, lived experience as a family member supporting a loved one. So mental health and those issues and challenges have been a part of my life since the beginning, really. Uh, So it's my dad who has had mental health struggles uh, and what would qualify as serious mental health challenges. And I have to add that he gives his consent for me to talk about this. Uh, which is really important. Um, And he's actually really proud of of the work that I do. Um, So his mental health challenges started when he was about 18. And he's been through, you know, everything that you could think of in terms of hospitalizations, various medications. I have, you know, memories of difficult memories of police coming to the home, uh, him being in hospital, sometimes in seclusion, you name it, he's been there, done that. Um, so obviously, this really impacted uh, my life and, and who I am, um, my perceptions of the world. Uh, when I was in my early 20s, I started having my own experiences with mental health challenges, um, extreme emotional distress and sadness. And then I had fears of being labeled. And you know, I thought, am I going to have the same experiences as my dad did in the system? So, uh, yeah, eventually I, I, you know, was in a place where I really needed support. Um, And so I connected with a a community 
agency actually in Toronto. Um, and it was really non-stigmatizing. Um, and, you know, the worker I spoke with had similar experiences to mine. So that made me feel really safe to talk about things. And it was sort of my first glimpse of what peer support could look like. Um, from there, I was referred to a psychiatrist who was also, you know, very helpful. And I was fortunate that she allowed for talk therapy, hour-long sessions, and she listened with empathy and validated my experiences and, and thoughts. And she she did not default to medications as the first or primary solution for my mental health challenges. And, and I'm really thankful for that. So after working in the family support role, I moved on to program manager, eventually into the executive director role. Um, you know, the environment, information, the community, the mutual support and education at Craftsman really helped me a lot. And exposure to strengths and recovery-based peer support approach really boosted my recovery and actually our family recovery as well. Because so, I was able to bring that learning back to my family and, and saw things from a different lens in terms of recognizing his strengths and you know, the challenge, understanding the challenges a little bit better. And I have to share that uh, my dad is 83. He's he's doing great. Uh, I like to share also that he's a writer of poems and philosophy. He's a brilliant mind. I uh, worked for the federal government for 40 years as a, a Great Lakes water researcher. He's an environmentalist, a peace activist, a loving and supportive husband and father, and compassionate and sensitive heart and, and a whole person. Um, adding to the evidence that people can and do find wellness. And, and he's been married to my mom for over 50 years. So I, I like to add that because he's more than just those challenges um, that he has a whole, he's a whole person and has a lot, a lot to give. Thank you so much for that story of your dad. I think that was really quite impactful, but woo, you have an extensive set of experiences for doing this. So thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about what happens, what's Craftsman Center all about? Sure. Well, Craftsman Center uh, was started by a group of community members here in Richmond Hill, actually. Um, and Lance Craftsman was one of those people. Uh, he's a Rich Richmond Hill resident who had uh, mental health challenges. He was in and out of hospital many, many times. And he really advocated for peer support in community, along with the this committee of individuals. Uh, long story short, um, sadly, Lance Craftsman, he knew many people in the mental health system after meeting many individuals in the hospital. And uh, he lost a number of peers in, in close succession. And, and sadly, this was too much for him to bear. And he ultimately decided to take his own life in 1996. So as calls for the need for consumer survivor-led self-help initiatives grew and funding became available, the committee uh, that he, Lance was a part of was granted funding to establish a consumer-led and run peer support center. And we were incorporated in 1998 as the Lance Craftsman Memorial Center for Community Mental Health named in his memory. And although it was too late for Lance, he had always said that having such a place would have supported him in his own recovery, a place to be free of judgment and stigma, to connect with others, 
to be seen and experienced as a whole person rather than just as a patient, quote unquote, or, you know, a diagnosis, you know, a place to explore, to be oneself uh, for social inclusion and advocacy for positive changes in society and the system regarding mental health and well-being. Um, and I'll add that consumer survivor initiatives, which is what Craftsman Center is, uh, arose from the consumer survivor movement. And so we're an agency led and run by people with lived experience and family members such as myself. And we advocate for positive system and social change. And we also offer peer support based programs. So existing as a place led and run by consumers is what really sets us apart and makes us unique. Mm -hmm. um, and advocating for system change is always underlying our work. And it's the essence of consumer survivor initiatives. And if I can mention, I was really thrilled to see a document from a recent document from the World Health Organization and the United Nations Human Rights Office of the High Commissioner, and it's called Mental Health, Human Rights and Legislation Guidance and Practice. And the guidance really you know, outlines what's currently lacking in mental health care and proposes, you know, legislative changes, uh, such as, you know, enabling the rights, uh, rights-based and person-centered recovery-oriented services and initiatives in community. And it explicitly says, including those that are peer-led and peer-run, both within and outside the health system, which prioritizes the person's empowerment and active participation in their own recovery. Um, it really looks at, you know, it also calls to ensure that the expertise of persons with lived experience is recognized and that they're closely consulted and actively participate in decision-making processes and the design, development, monitoring, and evaluation of laws, policies, plans, and services. So it's a powerful document and aligns with much of what the consumer survivor movement has been advocating for, for a very long time, decades and decades. Ooh, um, so the yeah. movement, yeah, it's essentially, the movement is essentially about upholding human rights. I am very, very happy that you told, uh, told us about that. I will find the and link uh, to this document because I think it's worthwhile to be able to review and think about and share. So uh, thank you for that. And this consumer survivor movement is also something new. And uh, I like to hear about that. Systemic change is necessary. And I'm glad you're on the bandwagon for that. You've talked a little bit about peer support or peer peer to peer support. I'm not certain that's the same thing. But uh, I do want you to mention something about sort of its limitations. In terms of, you know, limitations for mm -hmm. uh, serious mental health, um, peer support has been recognized actually uh, as a core service uh, mm -hmm. by funders, by uh, government, recognizing the value. Mm -hmm. So not only it for folks um, with, say, you know, what we, we deem sort of mild or moderate depression, Mm -hmm. but all the way up to those serious mental health uh, challenges. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, not many limitations in terms of where we can provide support and be helpful. 
so for example, in hospitals, um, we have peer supporters embedded in, in emergency departments. Mm -hmm. So folks who are in serious distress, uh, obviously sometimes, you know, end up in the emergency department and our staff are there working alongside mm -hmm. clinicians to support people in those moments. Um, you know, peer supporters ourselves have been given various diagnosis of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, our colleagues, serious mental illness ourselves. And I feel that that positions us well to support others based on those shared experience, mm -hmm. knowing what it's like to be in extreme distress, to support uh, a loved one in extreme distress, uh, whether it struggles with substance use, maybe hearing voices, having interactions with police, uh, regarding mental health challenges, experiences with homelessness. So that rapport can happen quickly through empathy, mm. non-judgment and understanding based on common experiences. Um, you know, the, again, the peer navigators in the hospital, they those staff have been in that place. They were once that person mm. in that emergency department in extreme distress. And now, you know, they found a better place They've received training, uh, they're well along in their recovery journey, and now they can support the needs of others in those situations. Yeah. Um, and, and hospital emergency departments can be a really scary place to be, especially if we're in distress. So having someone to sit with you and listen and support you and say, hey, I've been there, I understand what it's like, and it can get better, and explaining the process, what to expect, letting mm -hmm. people know what their rights are. What I, I will say is, is what is limited is our scope. And that is purposely so. So we don't want to drift away from our peer support roles. We're not clinicians. Uh, we don't diagnose. Mm -hmm. We don't prescribe meds. We don't drop off meds. We don't give advice uh, from a medical perspective. We don't advise specific treatments. That's really the role of clinicians to support people with those specific aspects. Uh, what we can do is, is, is be advocates. We can listen. We can support. We can support someone's emotional needs. And so, you know, I would say that definitely there's a role for yes. us to play and we have those experiences where we're trained. So just because we have lived experience doesn't mean someone yeah. is a great peer supporter. Yep. You have to be trained and, and we do trained, that yeah. as well. Yeah, so no. there's many places where we can interact with the system and, and we can and we do support folks with various serious mental yeah. health challenges. Just and I think within the, our scope. Within, within our scope. your scope. And I think that's <laughs> yeah. the that's the key. And I think the issue is often please make sure that there are the other supports as well. Don't like we need we need peer support, but there are times and some people need hospital beds and medication and other forms of treatment. So, and I don't think you disagree with that at all. So no, 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 uh, no. those, those things have been, uh, you know, useful to me. Um, but certainly for some folks, uh, peer support is an essential part it, yes. of their, you know, of their care. Yeah. Uh, you Craftsman Center also offers support to families that have come to seek uh, your support. 
Would it also yes. include people and families that maybe the members haven't reached out to you? So we have a family support program, and that is specifically for folks who are caregivers, friends, or family, or family of choice of someone who has a mental health challenge. Um, and so the focus there is really around, uh, you know, providing peer-based recovery education to those family members and really focusing on the family members' wellness themselves. Mm. So I know from my experience, you know, as a family member, um, it's very, you know, it's extremely challenging. It's extremely draining to try and support someone. I remember feeling like I wanted to be able to control the situation. I wanted to be able to tell my dad what I thought was best, you know, in a given moment, but often felt helpless and hopeless and a real lack of control. And so what I've learned from, you know, the peer support field and from recovery education is that I needed to take care of myself and focus on my own wellness in order to be in the best position to support my family member. I also learned skills around really listening and respecting his perspective and understanding, you know, where he was coming from and what he was feeling and you know, I came from a, my mom was a nurse. I came from a very, um, you know, medical perspective, thinking doctors know best. And I think, you know, one example that was really, you know, when I reflect back on it, there was a time where my dad said, you know, he was really struggling with his, the current, his psychiatrist at the time, with the medications that he was on that were making him feel awful and had awful side effects. And I remember him saying, Susan, I'm really, really sorry for what I'm going to do because it's going to be really, really hard. And I didn't know what he was talking about. But long story short, he determined that he needed to go off his meds. And, you know, needless to say, the consequences of that were really, really awful, you know, really, really hard. He did end up in hospital again. But coming through the other side, he was able, it was the only way that he could feel heard to say, I'm not okay with my current situation. And, you know, I know that best because I'm, you know, this is my body and my experience. And the good thing is, is that he was able to get a different psychiatrist who listened to him better who understood his needs and was able to find a medication that worked much better for him, you know, and he, that was an extreme situation where he needed to advocate for himself. The journey was really, really hard, but, you know, looking back. So now I listen to him better when he mm -hmm. says, you know, this, this, this med's not going so great, or, you know, I'm feeling this way. I don't just say, Oh, well, you know, <laughs> and try and mm -hmm. silence that really yeah. listen. Yeah. Um, you know, because sometimes that can lead to uh, better results for folks. Again, mm -hmm. this is just one situation. This is just a personal mm -hmm. story. It's yeah. not the same for everyone. No. But, but just a little anecdote about really listening and empowering the person to make their choices, right? Yeah. Uh, having people be better listeners is, uh, it's easier for some than others, but I think very, very important. And I'm glad to hear that that's something that the Craftsman Center will do is encourage people to be reflective on their behavior and and become better listeners again I, I, it's not easy so what other services are offered i mentioned that there are online programs and you have the drop-in center can you tell us a little bit about what actually does the craftsman center do 
Yeah, absolutely. So all of our programs, again, are, are peer support based, um, distinctly non-clinical peer to peer support, um, but we hold different roles. So we have an application support program, which supports people in applying for ODSP and uh, CPP disability. Um, we have a warm line, which is 24 seven, 365 days a year. We have an online chat service. Uh, you had mentioned drop-ins. We have a drop-in centers, uh, one in Richmond Hill, one in Alliston, and we also work from in, in from the cold and run a drop-in center in Newmarket. We do outreach, uh, understanding that some folks can't get to the drop-ins for various reasons, so we will go to them. We do harm reduction outreach. Uh, I had mentioned we have peer navigators in hospitals. So those are currently embedded at Southlake Hospital in Newmarket, at North York General Hospital, and uh, more recently at Women's College Hospital in Toronto. Uh, We have peer supporters embedded in withdrawal management programs, in rapid access addiction medicine clinics. We do recovery education. Uh, We do peer support training. So we train others to become peer supporters. And we have a lot of virtual options, as you mentioned, online groups. We also collaborate. uh, It's a very meaningful uh, collaboration with Georgina Island First Nation, uh, where we have collaboratively developed a peer support drop-in on the island. And there's also a food cupboard there for community members to access food. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. Okay, uh, that's a lot, but that's that it. is a lot. <laughs> and I will put the link in the podcast uh, for your website. And there, there's a lot there. So it's a um, hmm. lot. Oh, Marge, I just yes. want to mention, um, we also have, uh, you know, some of those programs are in partnership. And I do want to mention our partnership. So as hmm. you said, you know, we have our scope, uh, we have our area of expertise, and and others have have areas of expertise. So we collaborate a lot. We're involved in Ontario health teams, uh, about four of them now. Uh, We have a lot of partnerships with addiction services, with uh, your support services network, with public health Mm -hmm. hospitals, I mentioned. So, you know, we're part of the system. Uh, Mm -hmm. We collaborate uh, and but we're also positioned a bit on the periphery being a Mm -hmm. consumer survivor initiative. Very interesting. Okay, And so how are you funded? Uh, Our base funding is through Ontario Health. Uh, We receive funding from the region of York, uh, from the county of Simcoe. Uh, We get some funds through the Richmond Hill Hall Charitable Gaming Association. And we have funding, speaking of those partnerships, funding that streams from other agency partners, uh, such as Addiction Services and YSSN and various hospitals um, that float money to us for us to bring peer support to them. Okay. Uh, we also have some federal funding, uh, a little bit now for a research and evaluation project that's currently underway. And we also have funding from the United Way Greater Toronto. And I'm really pleased to share that we were recently granted uh, uh, anchor partner status with the United Way, which will uh, just grow our, our relationship with the United Way uh, even more deeply. So really happy about that. Yeah, that that is good news that uh, you are strongly embedded in the community. Now, you, I do see on the website there's a donate button, and so what is that all about? Is there certain things that the Craftsman Center needs? Are you doing a something special for the holidays? 
Absolutely. Now it's about the time when we start uh, working around that and, and needs are always, you know, really high. Uh, so right now we're particularly concerned about the winter. Uh, we accept uh, new items uh, of clothing. We accept uh, non-perishable food items, sleeping bags, um, you know, personal care, hygiene items, all of that is always a big need. Um, we always stay open on the holidays, all stat holidays, um, including the December holidays. Um, so the Richmond Hill uh, drop-in centre will be open as well as a number of other programs uh, because we know that while many services shut down, it's even more important um, that we stay open for those folks who might not have a family or a home to go to or to people for people to be with. So if anything, um, the support is needed even more on those holidays. Yeah. So we'll have meals for those uh, attending um, mm -hmm. our programs that will be open and and they're they're always uh, really warm occasions uh, to be in community. Okay. So Susan, is there anything that you'd like to add? Uh, you know, just on that note, uh, there's a lot of people, I'm sure everyone's aware, that are struggling these days. Uh, mental well-being is impacted, um, especially during and, and uh, since the start of COVID, um, just really impacted by social conditions, uh, such as the unaffordable costs of living, uh, our impacts on the environment, the lack of housing, lack of access to food. And, you know, we need more compassion and, and community efforts for those who are struggling. Um, you know, not nimbyism, not divisiveness, but but kindness. Mm -hmm. Okay, nicely said. I do end the podcast asking the same question of all guests. Name one thing you really like about this community. So one of the things I love is that Richmond Hill was the first municipality, I believe, in York Region to be declared a compassionate community, um, you know, and signed on to the Charter of Compassion uh, with support from Mayor West and the majority of council and thanks to many other supporters in the community. Um, you know, this is a community commitment to help prevent us from, you know, leading with or falling into judgment and antagonism and instead highlights the need to build on compassion and empathy that we know already exists in Richmond Hill. You know, while we do see so much suffering these days and there is a lot to be saddened by, we also experience compassion and beautiful moments of human connection, generosity, concern, community healing and caring. So there are some incredibly warm and kind people in Richmond Hill. And I love that. I actually just got a call before speaking with you from someone in the community asking how to donate and support and provide meals to the community. So I love that. Yeah. And it inspires me to, to try to be the same. Very nice. Excellent way of ending there. So Thank you, Susan, for being part of this uh, podcast and good luck with all the work, the very important work that you do. Thanks again, Marge. Thank you for listening. I would very much appreciate you sharing this podcast. Please tune in next week as we continue to explore the community. Consider emailing me at Marge, M-A-R-J, at MargeAndre.com. I welcome suggestions for podcast guests. Stay well, stay connected. <laughs>